0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz.
1: And welcome back, fellow American Patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property, culture. In the way it matters at the time it matters. That's a tall order, but someone's got to do it here at CR Podcast. Your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here for Thursday. The last day of the penultimate month of 2023, where has this year gone? And the, the day is short, the task is great. Folks, nothing demonstrates the state of America. More like having Arabs that we let in chant genocidal slogans against Jews at the Christmas tree ceremony, the, the lighting ceremony in Times Square. That is America of 2023. And there's hundreds of thousands of them from where they came from. What Israel is fighting, here's the thing. It's our war. Not our war in the sense that we need to send troops and get involved in the neocon way, but we have that right on our shores. So we have the Christmas celebration interrupted. We have the London Hanukkah lighting was canceled because of these people. And and that's what America is going to become. Again, never have we faced so many existential crises, and yet, never have we lacked this degree of leadership, vision, strategy on anything to deal with a single one of these issues. And, and I don't know what to do. It's just a degree of paralysis where where there's nothing. No, no one has a vision what to do with these hyenas we let in. No one has a vision to deal with the fact that we have a government that spies on us and then serves as spies for Iran. On the border, the green energy stuff, there's so much news on – even automakers are saying you got to stop with the electric vehicle stuff. And yet Republicans are embracing the EVs in all these states. No vision on the legislature. No vision on certainly the congressional stuff. No vision on primaries, but we're going to do that here. We are definitely going to take that place. And then later today, we'll talk about an update what is going on in Israel with Hamas and why it matters. We'll have Kyle Scheidler coming up. First, our sponsor today, Um, you know, there's a lot of junk that people eat, junk cereal, junk foods, sugars. Believe it or not, we have the same thing with soap. Kind of like, you know, you need to be eating more avocado oil instead of canola oil. Well, when you have soaps from Dove and Zest that support BLM, by the way, um, it's pro-inflammatory, unnatural ingredients. Not so at QPGoatSoap.com. What's QP? That's Quinn Pittman, our 16-year-old Christian homeschooling entrepreneur who has his own goats, and out of that goat milk, he makes he makes a goat soap that is, it, it is the best smelling, best feeling. Uh, our kids love to take showers. Now, You know, normally it's hard to get them in, into the shower at night. They love the feel of... QP Goat Soap on their bodies. Only natural oils that really ensure your body doesn't dry out, your skin doesn't dry out. Free shipping over 30 bucks. So those of you who want to get a full year of supply, um, it makes a very unique and useful Christmas gift at QPGoatSoap.com, but make sure to put in promo code Daniel. Promo code Daniel for 10% off at QPGoatSoap.com. Free shipping over $30. So... We have a situation where we have this Amy McFadden, one of the three CIA agents responsible for the daily presidential briefing, changed her cover photo on Facebook to an image of a man waving a Palestinian flag in a keffiyeh-patterned uh, shirt, a design that was uh, you know, created by Arafat. And that's who runs our government. So we're run by the enemy. Okay, this is not just you know, the old left where, oh, they appease the bad guys. No, 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 they side with the bad guys and they work with the bad guys and bad guy operatives from the Muslim Brotherhood in Iran run every outlet in America. There was this video of a guy at that Times Square riot Um, while they were fighting with the police. There was this guy that said, look, you're in America right now. Turn to the rioters. And a man with... um. And, and he had an American flag, so this one of these guys confronted him and tried to rip the American flag away and shouted Allah Akbar and free Palestine. And again, that, that is a metaphor of what we're facing with Islam and the West. By the way, if you, want an, if you want a powerful metaphor of what we face, of what we face in terms of immigration – there's just this tragic irony I read somewhere that there's this guy, Sinwar, who's the number one Hamas guy in Gaza. He's the head of operations. He's not the head in cutter, but he's the head in Gaza. And he, had a, he was diagnosed a number of years ago with a terminal brain cancer, a tumor, and Israel brought him in. And, and mind you, he was already a big terrorist then, and they brought him in. And they treated him, and he actually survived to this day so he can kill more Jews. And it turns out that the nephew of the guy, of the doctor who treated him, is one of the hostages still in Gaza. That, my friends, is a metaphor for Islam in the West. You know, Henry Kissinger just died, and I don't have many nice things to say about him. He's obviously the godfather of so much of this bad foreign policy but in his final probably the final political statement he made in his closing days he was like yeah you know that muslim immigration ain't working out too well and you know he he was a big part of that that stuff but even he realized before he died he was 100 years old that that was a problem and there's a, a, a big awakening to that but we don't have any strategy to dealing with it instead what do we have The same old Republican Party, they're focused on, we must pass a defense bill to fund the same policies, we must pass government funding bills, we can't have a government shutdown, and we must fund Ukraine. Those of you who thought we were getting something different with Mike Johnson, take a listen to what he had to say about Ukraine here.
0: Ukraine is, a, is another priority. Of course, we can't allow Vladimir Putin to march through Europe, and we understand the necessity of assisting there. What we've said is that if there is to be additional assistance to Ukraine, which most members of, co- of Congress believe is important, We have to also work in changing our own border policy. And so there's been a lot of thoughtful negotiation ongoing uh, with that.
1: I think most of our Senate colleagues recognize that those two things need to move together because we owe that to the American people. That's what they're demanding that we do. Okay, folks, so you heard that. Oh, we can't allow Putin to march through Europe. Wait, what? They don't have the ability to do that. And that's become abundantly clear. That's what they waste time with. And it's all about process. Well, it's not that we will not fund the government another day, destroying our cost of living, destroying the American automobile, destroying our borders, destroying our security, funding Iran, funding UNRWA, funding Hamas. No, it's all about the process. Well, we just want to make sure that along with border security, we get there. What the heck? But this is what we've become, folks. We've become a movement not of what you believe, but a movement of who you are and who you associate with. It's an identity movement. So Mike Johnson supported Mr. Trump. So it's all good. It's all good. By the way, McCarthy did too. But it's all good. Interestingly enough, McCarthy said that Nikki Haley would make a good VP for Trump. That's where the Trump establishment is merging. Notice people like McCarthy and you know they they don't have a problem with Trump. They don't have a problem with Haley. There's one person they have a problem with. There's one person they'll never mention. Because that person is about doing and occupying the intellectual policy space and outcome space. See the MAGA movement they'll dance around and talk about things. They'll, They'll agree and talk about Muslim immigration too but the establishment doesn't feel a threat to that because they don't They don't try to do anything. I was telling a friend today, I was like, look, there's one thing if MAGA would lose every swing district, but at least, you know, every red district we're getting in a MAGA type of guy. We're not. They're the same old. Same old. But anyway, I warned when it came to Johnson. I warned you guys. I said, the worst thing we can get Is someone who is perceived as a man of the right but isn't because then we're going to get the same policies, but we won't have the leverage to fight it, and our people will stand down. Where did I learn that from? From Mr. Trump, right? Because whatever Mr. Trump says is fine promotes the vaccines it's fine promotes BLM that's fine stands down during the riding it's fine to pander to the black vote you know cuz that's very populist and nationalist and maga and and not weenie establishment you know racial pandering like yeah like we need to allow the country to burn to get the black vote and then not even get it yeah yeah very very nuanced enlightened you know new republican who knows at what time it is sort of uh, thought but but this is where we're at With Mike Johnson. So. um, This is from Politico. Basically what happened yesterday. Is that. First of all. uh, Johnson's working on. An agreement for the NDAA. Right. For just minor concessions. And then he announced something astounding. He announced. That if we can't come to an agreement. By the deadline. Which is again January 18th and September 2nd, depending on the government department, will just pass a full year CR. In other words, not saying if you don't agree to fund this, we will not fund it and we will have a standoff and we will win that standoff. It's, you know, we'll make sure to fund government. We can't have a shutdown. You could rape us. There's not a single thing you can do to us that will allow government to shut down. We'll continue funding it. But what's his big victory? We're not going to do an omnibus. You idiot. It's not the form of the bill. It's the policies in it. So that's what we made it all about process. You listen to Mike Johnson every second. He's talking about process. There's no fire in the belly. You ever listen to one of Chip's riffs on the the House floor? That's what you need as a speaker. You hear that fire in the belly from Chuck Schumer. You feel it from uh, Hakeem Jeffries. Even from Biden, who's half dead, he speaks more to the morality of his immorality than Mike Johnson speaks to the morality of his supposed biblical worldview. Nothing. So he is announcing that he's going to do a CR. And then I saw this, that um the Freedom Caucus chair, Scott Perry, just called for the next spending bill to be set at the top-line spending levels of the McCarthy negotiated debt ceiling deal which is the FY2022 levels rather than the pre-covid spending. Now, I don't want to hit on Perry himself so much cuz Perry to be fair was with Chip Roy that was putting out a coherent way to have a fight over a certain degree of spending cuts and the border and making it the most possible we would have had a shutdown. And there were others that that were at fault. I just want to demonstrate, if you look in that political article, a lot of them are like, well, the jury's still out. We might go with more spending levels. So some of these guys, they took down McCarthy over like it had to be that exact spending level. And at the time, I said, look, I mean, I wouldn't box myself into a certain spending level. It's more about the policies that matter. But they were obsessed. It has to be like this. And it has to be the 12 appropriation bills. And it has to be this level of spending. And anything but that, we're not going to budge. And it kind of put McCarthy into a bind. And now it's like, hey, Johnson, it's all good. Because it's all about who you are aligned with, not what you believe, much less what you successfully fight for. So he's perceived as one of us, so it's all good. He's a nice guy. So he's kind of the Trump equivalent at the speaker's level now. That the only thing you accomplish is getting the extra excrement sandwich that we're inevitably going to eat to taste better because it just you know tastes better from the hand of uh, of a guy like that who says he has a biblical worldview. So that's where we're at, and it ain't pretty. It ain't pretty, folks. Now something to put you in a better mood, Patriot Academy or friends at Patriot Academy um we are now 18 days to our trip um you could still come there still are a couple of slots if you want to make a late uh you know flight or or certainly if you live in the fredericksburg texas area central texas even oklahoma drive in drive in with your guns and ammo four hundred dollars for a two thousand dollar course you know cost hundreds of dollars to get one night's training at your range of anything on par with this here you get four days worth of defensive handgun training you get to see me, other members of the audience. If that doesn't work for you, go to patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. Look at their other dates in January and March. Um, good time to go out there, much better than in the summer where it's just unbearably uh, hot. Spots are limited, so register today at patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. And also, I just wanted to say a couple things. Um, let me know if if if, two things. If December 18th doesn't work for you, Um, I'm gonna plan my next trip in March. Let me know if March 4th works for you for another four-day handgun course. That might be a date that I can come back to the Patriot Academy training and get together. Um, The other thing, and again, email me, danielherwitz at starmail.com. If you guys are up for basic AR rifle training, okay, a rifle course, So defensive, right. This is not like the target practice, but defensive rifle training, just the same, the same way we do with handgun. If that's something that floats your boat more than handgun, let me know. And, and, uh, we could try to put together a course, um, that's certainly necessary now, uh, to learn how to defend yourself in a defensive situation with an AR or, or whatever rifle you have, um, and they, they certainly have the instructors. And by then, the rifle ranges are pretty much done. So certainly by March, I believe they'll be done on their campus there. So let me know. That's something I haven't done there yet. And that will be very exciting. Um, again, it's not a big deal. You bring a case. You can fly with it. You declare it and, you know, check it as luggage. Uh, so it's not it's not a big deal. You could definitely fly with it. But but uh, email me, Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. So... Back on this theme of it's all about a groupiness of who you are. So Trump yesterday accepted the endorsement of that BLM guy from Rhode Island that said all the bros in the barbershop are going with him. Spoke with Mark Fisher yesterday. This is Trump on his uh, weird social media network. Um, that was the BLM guy, great guy, very honored to have his and BLM support. I have done more for the black people than any other president since Lincoln, including 10-year funding for historically black colleges where they had none, opportunity zones, criminal justice reform, and much more. So like, again, anyone else who would have a whiff of this like black pandering type of stuff, I mean, the MAGA movement would go nuts, cuck, rhino, but this, it's all good. It's all good. again, A lot of us remember what he did on COVID, but equally as harmful, the men stood down and allowed the country to burn. It was a concerted decision. You can look it up in many publications. Ryan Gurdusky actually had a great piece at the time. Um, I wrote about it at the time. Uh, Brooke Rollins, Jerome Smith, and Jared Kushner, those three were responsible for that policy that they're like, we can't risk the black vote. I mean... When he does establishment, he does it bigly. I mean, no other president, Republican, or Democrat would have let it get that far. But he was so cuck-held by that criminal justice deform um, that this is what we're stuck with. It, it's just, nothing matters. But it's fine. It's all good. It's all good. You get the right guy in with the right click That has the right people saying nice things about you, policy doesn't matter. I mean, that's the most dangerous thing you could have in any movement. And I wanted to say another thing. This is why we're latching on to any like little bit, little thing we could have that someone says one thing that we agree with and we just embrace the guy as the new thought leader. Because we don't have a leadership ourselves. You know, some of the Trump defenders are like, well, it's good to grow the tent. Dude, if you understand where this guy is coming from, you grow the tent by bringing people over to your your way of thinking. It's not like a bunch of people are like, yeah, the bros are a little bit disappointed with Biden and whatever, you know, so uh, I like criminal justice. Or no, it would be a guy that's like coming to the awareness that we need to get tough on crime. This harms everyone, including blacks. But no, that's not where this is coming from. It's not coming from a good place. See, here's the thing you need to understand. A movement is you have a bunch of people that are full-spectrum ideological conservatives on every issue, and they're leading the movement. Then you have adjacent people that, you know, as the left gets so radical, they're – Peeling off and saying, hey, maybe you guys are right on the vaccines. Maybe you guys are right on Israel. Maybe you guys are right on the border. But inevitably, those people are going to be very problematic on a lot of things. So you don't you don't exalt them as the leaders. But we have such a vacuum because we don't have real leaders. So we'll just glum onto anything. And any huckster could just come along and take this fake movement by storm. That's why Trump a lot of people are like Trump needs to go away. Trump is not really the cause. He's a symptom of it. And where do you think Vivek Ramaswampi came in? Within three seconds, I never heard of the guy. And every one of my colleagues, is like, Vivek Ramaswampi, blah, blah, blah. Whoa, what did Vivek have to say? It's like, where the hell did he come from? When we were suffering our worst thing, Pedro Gonzalez has an amazing piece on a Substack. We always knew this. He worked with government contractors to create a national surveillance system. He is a biomedical fascist. So he what he does is he reads the room and sees what's popular. So then it was COVID, he jumped all into it. and now it's like the populist voices, "Oh yeah, I'll fight it." But it's like, these are the people we elevate. That's how we glum onto a BLM guy. That's how we glum onto Andrew Tate or some sort of trashy sort of guy that says one thing that we agree with, he's suddenly a hero. It's the same thing with Elon Musk. I'm not against Elon. And, um, you know, I I think Elon's going through a transition. He's going through a process. He's going through a growing process, an awakening. It's welcome. But just recognize, you know, he's going to misfire on things. Just recognize that. And also, I I do want to say that a lot of times when you have converts, they act kind of like Muslim converts. They're very zealous and reactionary. So it's like, let's say they, they fe- feel they were lied to on something with the left, and they're very upset about it, but then they're going to start looking for conspiracies and things that don't exist, and they're just going to be off kilter because they don't have a, a sense of direction, and that's fine. It's fine, and you need people, and it's good to have people, but you need a core movement. We don't have that. We have a movement of people who themselves are newbie converts trying to learn their religion. And that's where we're at. It's fine to grow a tent, but you have to have a core, a home base. You know, another interesting thing is Trump put out, like it's bizarre, like out of nowhere, he has these random things. We need to repeal and replace Obamacare. And it's like, dude, you made Obamacare popular. You extolled its virtues. You didn't understand what it was. You thought it was the tax... You thought it was the funding mechanism, not the 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 you know regulations and the, that create the monopolies and everything, and you extolled the virtues of it, and you had your chance and you preserved the core of it. He literally acts like he was it wasn't president. It's just so weird. I want to get to. I, I'm in such a bad mood. I want to just get back to talk about foreign policy a little bit today. Because domestically, it's just, we're so screwed. So I want to get something intellectually out of today. But I just want to bring up one other point on what we do, where we go from here, that I want to elaborate upon maybe a little bit more detail in the future. And I've mentioned it before. One, one of our listeners uh, tweeted at me. He was like, "Look, how can we make a single change to how Con Inc votes? You know, like the legislators and the congressmen, until the donor class is threatened, and by that I mean the worst of them: big pharma, big chamber, big bombs. We have right. So, so th- th- that was his question. Like, ultimately, what do we do? The donors control the party, and by the way, you're seeing that that a lot of people question, like." Mike Johnson, he's kind of a newbie. No one ever heard of him. How is he going to step in and have the fundraising prowess of a guy like Kevin McCarthy? And, you know, there's a lot of stories out there that he's doing a good job raising money. And, okay, that on the one hand, that's, well, you know, you need money to succeed. I understand that. But what comes along with that is, I mean, this has been two sides of a coin. If you want money, the only money we have in the Republican Party doesn't share our values. And it shows. So what do you do? There, by the way, there's only one man who has eschewed that. Uh, the Trump people accused you know, DeSantis of having liberal donors. They're all going to Nikki Haley. He tells – he, because, because he turns them off. He'll take the money and won't listen. He's the only one who has shown to do that. But what is the solution? And to me, there's only one solution. And no one wants to go in this direction. They have the money. We have the votes, right? So, what do I mean by that? Um, now Trump's complicated, but he's perceived as being of the right, even though he's not. At a so at a at a down the ballot level, money rules because money defines name ID. No one no one follows these people enough, so you know you just have the biggest establishment guy with the biggest pharma money, chamber of commerce money, saying I'm a great conservative. I hate Biden, so Republican voters get fooled. But at a, at a presidential level, people aren't, I mean, they're fooled by Trump, but generally, like, I'm not worried about Nikki Haley winning a presidential election. And we saw that already in 2016. 80% of the primary voters voted either for Trump or Cruz, right? Rubio, these other guys, n- no one's going back to that at, 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 a, at a national level where it's kind of clear who these people are. Right, Nikki Haley, obviously all she can do is split the non-Trump vote and ensure that Trump wins, but she certainly herself obviously has no path. She would have a 20% ceiling. It's about 20% who would agree with the donor class. 80% do not, and certainly, of course, 60%. But they have all the money. The only solution is we leverage the votes against the money, meaning the one thing we refuse to do. I said this after the gay marriage with people like Tom Tillis and Joni Ernst. There's got to be a point where we say, okay, you're right. Maybe you could flood the zone with the money in the primary and buy yourself name ID. But we will not vote for you in a general election. At some point, you're going to have to do that. That is your only leverage. You could debate over what circumstance is worth it to risk having a Democrat. I would argue certainly at a federal level, maybe more so than a governor, It's worth, it's worth it. To make it clear, you will never win a general election without us. Kushner told this to Trump, and their donors have been saying this for years, that they're on the plantation more than black voters are to the Democrat Party. They have nowhere to go. At some point, you're going to have to do that, but we have no leadership. And by the way, speaking of Joni Ernst, do you know that the two people leading the charge to break Tuberville's blockade over the NDAA and over um, the military promotions, over the wokeness, are Joni Ernst of Iowa and Dan Sullivan of Alaska? Two red state Republicans. That That is their biggest focus. Again, the party has not changed one iota the leadership of the speaker, the Senate minority leader has not changed. After McConnell, John Thune is gonna step into it. It was just as bad. We are not changing our game. But I want to get back to Israel, Islam, Iran, an enemy government, and uh and why why it matters for us. <clears throat> So first, today, our interview segment is sponsored by our friends at Birch Gold Group. Look, the way things are going with the treasuries, there is no way our government's going to be able to find enough demand to offload those treasuries. You know what happens? The rates have to go up. They have to offer more. China's divesting. Japan's divesting. Russia's divesting from U.S. treasuries. Um, This ship is going down. Gold is always a good hedge. It's done very well this year in particular, and we're about... A month away from tax season. What happens during tax season? You could save about $6,500 per spouse from government taxation through an IRA or 401k. Don't put it into BlackRock. Don't put it into Fidelity or Vanguard. Put it into something of value with gold by texting Daniel. Daniel to 989898 today. Claim your free info kit on gold. When they go to digital currency, because this is collapsing, it'll be nice to have some of that good gold to fall back on by texting Daniel to 989898 today. So we've had on Kyle Scheidler at the beginning of this war in Israel. And I must say, folks, like I I knew that the Biden administration was bad, but they're siding with Iran and they're siding with Iran and they're siding with Hamas and they're siding with Hamas and typically it was you know conservatives were pro israel you know then european uh, the democrats were even were worse where they were anti israel <clears throat> and then europeans were even worse now the biden admin <clears throat> is literally worse than the europeans okay even even germany is divesting from UNRWA, and yet we're we're just flying in you know military planes to deliver to you know resupply hamas and meanwhile Biden imposed a ceasefire on Israel. And you know what Hamas did? They just claimed responsibility for an attack in Jerusalem, a shooting. They unleashed some of their terrorists, who, by the way, were let out in previous prisoner exchanges. This is what they do when they get let out. You think, man, I'll rebuild my life. Nope. They know one one way, and that is the way of the sword that Ishmael will live by. And that's what they're going to live by. Two people killed there, including a pregnant woman. Um and things are really bad. I mean, this is this is pretty bad. So I wanted to get an update on that and why we should care and what way we should care. Kyle Scheidler is Director of Homeland Security and Counterterrorism at the Center for Security Policy. You can find him at ScheidlerK on Twitter. Hey, Kyle, thanks so much for joining us again today.
0: Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure.
1: <laughs> All right, so could you give us a, a little bit of a synopsis of, of what is going on I, I thought the death of 1,400 Jews was a bridge too far. And finally, we would break this cycle that I know you're very well studied in history. Since 1948, Israel gets attacked. They face annihilation. They get miraculous recovery. And then they start to counterattack and make gains. And just as they're doing that, um, the, the world kind of pulls the plug on them. And we thought this time there's no way it's going to happen. Does it appear like that's happening now?
0: Well, you know, we'll have to see what the outcome is of this latest attack by Hamas. I mean, you had uh, Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel literally in a meeting with Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, and the moment he gets out, he gets news of this attack, right? So that's, and, and we should be aware, this is always what ceasefire meant right? Ceasefire always meant Israel ceases fire, Hamas attacks whenever it's convenient. That is what it has always meant historically, and that's what it meant, and that's what the Biden administration knew that it would mean when they forced this ceasefire upon Israel to begin with. They knew that they would force this ceasefire, that they would force this ongoing, slow-rolling, slow drip of hostage negotiations to slow down Israel's offensive, and that Hamas would take all the advantages of that ceasefire. We know, for example, that the Israeli uh, defense forces took casualties in Gaza because Hamas terrorists re-infiltrated into the north, northern Gaza that the IDF controlled during the ceasefire and conducted IED attacks. So they've already had uh, cases where they've, they've literally taken casualties because of this American-imposed ceasefire. And now you have, again, a terrorist attack in the heart of Israel um, conducted by Hamas at Hamas's own words. They admitted it openly. I mean, they could have pretended it wasn't them uh, if they if they wanted to. And they didn't even do that. So they know Hamas knows with certainty that they can count on the Biden administration to continue to try and force this ceasefire uh, on Israel to hold Israel's hand uh, while they attack uh, whenever and as ever it's convenient.
1: Now, do, doesn't Israel now have a big problem that you know they stupidly gave them like a three-week warning to move to the south? And 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 I, I again, I don't blame them because they're they're basically hung by the neck by the Biden administration, so they were forced to do that. Everything is about their stupid fake civilians. Um, so Israel has to eat it with Jewish blood, whether it's more soldiers dying because they can't call in an airstrike when they see a guy shooting from a building, whether it's that they know exactly where the hostages are, but they can't take them without agreeing to this exchange because um, they specifically put them in civilian areas while those same so-called civilians beat them um, and and do horrible things. Uh, now they're, they're, they're in the South. I mean – Is there going to be an appetite to then not just finish the job in the north, but then go to the south?
0: I hope so. For Israel's sake, they they really, I don't think, strategically, they don't have a choice here. They have to finish Hamas. They have to finish what they started. Or the message that it sends to the entire region will create an existential threat to the Jewish state. Because they started off. Uh, after October 7th saying that they were going to destroy Hamas. They were going to destroy Hamas, not only in Gaza, but everywhere that it exists, Uh, which was, you know, strong rhetoric that I was excited to see. It's what Israel needs to do. And then it starts to to, to backpedal. Now, of course, you know, Israel has always been very proud of the fact that they take great care to avoid civilian casualties. Uh, I think the, the fact that they opened the humanitarian corridors to the south uh, played well for them in public relations, particularly when you had Hamas open fire on their own people who were trying to escape. Uh, so I think they, they did have some advantage from that, uh, from that effort, uh, but they could lose it here if they, if they continue to play along with this tit-for-tat ceasefire that the, that the Americans are trying to impose here. Um, they really do need to get back on track with their the strategic objective, which they set at the beginning, which was the annihilation of Hamas.
1: Why is it so important for Americans that they succeed and not get hampered? I know, you know, you have voices like Tucker, Tucker Carlson on the right that are trying to say, oh, Israel's dragging us into war, when ironically, he's actually echoing, I mean, He complains about Biden, but Biden is doing what he says he wants. Biden is preventing a so-called war, which means a one-sided prevention. Um, Why should we care, you know, care that they uh, finish the job? Well,
0: the United States, to the extent that it makes decisions to take on allies and alliance relationships, should always endeavor to make alliances with strong states that are capable of defending themselves. If you don't want, as Tucker Carlson says, he doesn't want uh, Americans to have to go abroad and defend other regions, and I don't want that either, then you have to have states who can defend themselves. And the traditional, the attraction that Israel had for especially conservatives, but for all Americans, was the fact that they defended themselves and they defended themselves ably. the thing that most attracted Americans to Israel and supporting Israel was the 1967 war and Israel's success in that war. Uh, Americans like winners. We like people who can stand up for themselves. Um, we tend to view not standing up for yourself as evidence that you are guilty of whatever it is you are being accused of. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that's a lot of what is happening here. Uh, when Israel does not win, when they do not stand up for themselves, it is interpreted abroad as um, you know, being guilty of what they're yes. accused of and, and frankly being weak. And nobody in the Middle East wants a weak ally. They're not useful. You've, we've seen this from United Arab Emirates, from the Saudis. Uh, a large part of the Abraham Accord right, was predicated on the fact that Israel was a strong power that could help these other Arab states defend themselves from Iran. And if Israel loses this war or appears not to win, it it will change that calculus in the Arab states and we we will lose the peace that we built under the Trump administration because people want a strong ally, they don't want a weak ally.
1: Am I missing something that... For the first time ever, from from where I sit, it appears that the pressure being placed on Israel is exclusively from our government, if you want to call it our government, and not really from Europe. Th- th- does it appear that the Biden administration has now surpassed Europe in their animosity towards Israel?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at what's going on in Europe, and, and I don't mean to laugh, but it's um, – it is a bit surprising. Uh, you know, they were always the f- most fiercely anti-Israel, uh, the most fiercely pro-Palestinian, and what they are seeing is that that policy has come back to bite them domestically. Yep. They are seeing vicious, uh, vicious um, anti-Semitism from their migrant populations, uh, and frankly, anti-Europeanism, anti anti-white racism. Uh, you know. Uh, the notion that an Algerian in Ireland, an Algerian immigrant in Ireland kills Irish children, uh, and this, you know, this obviously has nothing to do <laughs> with the Palestinian conflict. And, and in fact, the Irish have traditionally been very pro-Palestinian, but none of this has spared them. And I think the Europeans are starting to wake up to that reality. They are starting to wake up wow. to the reality that perhaps Israel has neighbors who are intractable, that they cannot be compromised with, uh, that they simply uh, are, are intent on a violent course of action. And, and I think that they're, they're, they're starting to realize that in Europe in ways that we aren't realizing it here in the United States, although you would think we would. I mean, you have our own internal radicals like uh, BLM and Antifa and these, these types of groups, and they are all out in force in support of Hamas. I mean, openly, uh, really genocidal rhetoric coming from some of these groups. Uh, yeah. you know, and, and it should be a wake-up call to, to Americans, especially Americans on the right. And I am really confused by uh, so-called conservatives or people on the right who look at these things going on and saying, you know, well, maybe the, maybe the Palestinians have a point. Maybe we maybe we should be against <laughs> Israel in this conflict, when it's the same exact radicals that burned cities in 2020. Yes. Um, and and in the, the demographic camp.
1: split, I know you and I were just texting about this Gallup poll, it mirrors the BLM polling. It's the same thing, because at its core, this really is a war on whites. It really is um, how they view Jews as, as they're the whites and— and, you know, these are the colored people in their mind. It's, it's fascinating. You look at the polling. So they break down by party ID, 71% approve of Israel's military action, 71% of Republicans, but just 36% of Dems. And then you look at race, 61% of whites approve of Israel's action, but 64% of what they call people of color do not approve. And then this, this is the scary one. You look at age. So, you know, 55 and older, super majority support Israel. 35 to 54, narrow majority support. 18 to 34, 30% approve. 67% disapprove. Wow.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're seeing a generation of kids who have come out of colleges who have been raised on colonization studies and ethnic studies uh, and Middle East studies and have been told that not only are you know, the Israelis uh, colonizers in the Middle East, and they have no legitimate indigenous claim to the land, but they've been told that you and I, here in America, have no claim to the land either. <laughs> one, of the sl- one of the slogans they are using uh, of late is from Turtle Island to Palestine. Turtle Island is a reference used by indigenous activists here in the United States mm. to refer to North America. So this isn't just like those silly land acknowledgement claims that you see people get up and give about whatever tribe that supposedly lived in the area where they're having a city council meeting 2,000 years later. Yep. This is about the entire country and indeed the entire yep. continent.
1: I mean, I, I think we all agree, Kyle, that there's definitely an extra spice of, of of Jew hatred involved that's a cherry on top, but at its core, in their worldview, and we know this on a number of issues, everything is viewed in a racial lens, everything in their worldview. Israel is the white, the Arabs are the colored, and that's how it is. I mean, even though it's dumb, because especially in Israel, half the Jews there are the Sephardic Jews, but... That's, that's the irony of how they, um, how they view it. Um, and I think that's what we saw coming full circle at the trashing of the Christmas tree lighting ceremony in Times Square. Um, when they say from the river to the sea, they kind of mean from the Hudson River to the Pacific Ocean.
0: They do. And it's, you know, it's really a, a Marxist lens. It's, it's a Marxist lens of the only two categories that can be acknowledged are oppressor and oppressed. And you're either one or the other. And how those calculations get made as to which group is going to be oppressed and which group is going to be the oppressor, uh, you know, it's not really up to us in, in outside of these radical circles to decide those things. I mean, there have been, unfortunately, pro-Israel activists for ages who have tried to make the case that, as you said, Israel is a land where there are Jews of many different colors uh, there, are, there are people of color who are Jews. There are you know, Jews from Yemen. There are Jews from Ethiopia. Uh, they tried to make the case that is, you know, Jews are indigenous to the land, that historically this is, this is clear, that the Jews never left the land. There were always Jews in, in the area. Uh, they have made all these cases, and it doesn't mean anything, because it's ultimately not about evidence. They understand
1: the fist. They understand one thing. And I want to get your thought on that. You started to say this. I think what's so important is that, again, this is the opposite of Ukraine. Just do nothing. Just leave them the hell alone. Republicans need to get Biden off their backs. And the reason is because we have the problem here, as we well saw last night. We got a big, big problem. I mean, really big. Um, like you said, we might be in that sweet spot where Europe might be over the hump already, where they maybe woke up, but we're getting to where Europe was ten years ago. Uh, we're not awake yet, but we have the you know European level intensity of Islamic insurrection. But isn't it true that this reminds me a lot of like 2014, 2015, 2016 with the Islamic State, where you have some sort of degree of success, like a messianic, you know warfare from jihad that looks cool, right? So they celebrate that. And and that was the last time we saw a tremendous amount of domestic terrorism, Islamic communities in America really piping up from their dormant status. And then we saw it again. And what was interesting is again my first observation when we spoke last was that it wasn't just oh, they rioted in response to Israel's operation in Gaza. They rioted before. They rioted in response to the slaughter. The actual slaughter, they, Jews getting beaten and losing, that was they, they love that. That's like a messianic thing for them. That's jihad. When their guys get slaughtered, they'll initially riot too, but that kind of punches it down. When the Islamic State got defeated, it kind of simmered down. So are you saying that? I mean, ultimately, if Israel just puts a lid on them, it will kind of tamp down the messianic fervor for jihad.
0: I mean, I think if Israel demonstrated in the region that they were going to be proactive, that they were going to be a strong force, that they could not be dislodged, uh, that they could eliminate any opposition. uh, And frankly, I would include in that uh, Hezbollah because Hezbollah has been sitting on the sidelines sniping whenever it's convenient for them. And uh, really, you know, the real player in this is Iran. And, they're okay with losing Hamas. Losing Hezbollah would be a different thing for them. So Israel has to win. They have to win big. And if they do that, I think, you know, you will hear the cries from all of the usual places about how terrible it is and so on and so forth. And behind the scenes, the diplomats in Dubai and the diplomats in Riyadh are going to be going up to the Israelis and saying, hey, good job. Go get them, you know. Because ultimately, they also know that this is really about Iran, right? And, you know, maybe the Israelis say, hey, Saudi Arabia, we want to help you with your Houthi problem in Yemen, because obviously it's become a problem for us too now, right? We really need to operationalize this, this relationship that we've created in, in, in the past. Uh, that, would be, that would be turning, turning the... Um, turning the corner on this and and making something positive come out of it. But Israel has to, has to come out of this with a strategic win. Anything else is a loss. A tie is a loss for Israel in this fight. I think people need to understand that it needs to be the language on everybody's lips. A tie is a loss. A ceasefire is a loss. Uh, And a loss means another massacre and another massacre and another massacre. Uh, That's, that's the case. And Israel needs to internalize that. And they need to say, if you get in our way here, you're not our ally. But but how so do they if you're do trying that? To hold me, if you're trying to hold me back, you're not my ally.
1: How practically do they do that when you have the Biden administration is run by Iran, it's an ally of Iran, and they hold all the weapons? I mean, do, do you agree with my assertion that we need that that conservatives and Christians and America First— that we need to, from a a pro-America standpoint and a pro-Israel standpoint, and a recognition that our State Department is irremediably um, broken, that Israel needs to be set free on more of an independent path defense-wise. But Because isn't the problem right now that they're caught because they have a sudden war, and pursuant to past agreements, they're locked into... That they have to, they weren't able to develop, especially in the in the aviation industry, they weren't able to develop their own planes and they rely on the US for everything.
0: No, absolutely. That's the golden handcuff that previous administrations have used to restrain Israel uh, whenever it's convenient. and the Biden administration, of course, is also using uh, like a whip hand on Israel to try to enforce them uh, to to engage in these in these negotiations and these ceasefires. Israel, and, and, and frankly, this should be our position for all of our allies. We should say, we want you to be as internally self sufficient, uh, militarily self sufficient as possible. Uh, you know, obviously, we'll sell you things if, if you think you need them, but we want you to be sure. as self sufficient as possible because we want an ally who can take care of themselves. And I think that is a message that you could sell to the American people. I think it's, it's innate in the American people's understanding of, of, of foreign affairs that people should take care of, you know, other countries should take care of yep. themselves. And I think if you said, hey, you know, well, you know, maybe that requires helping them get off the ground uh, in a, for a couple of years, but then say, hey, look, you got, you got to fly. I know in the past we've tried to clip your wings, but, but yes. you got to fly. Yes. And unfortunately, I don't, I don't see a lot of Republicans in Congress
1: So I talk that way. Okay. So, so I'm glad, Kyle. I'm glad you ventured into that because this is what pisses me off about the Republicans. I watch them. So, when it comes to certain issues like immigration, we know with donors, there's issues they're not really on board with the splits with Ukraine. Okay. But on paper, legitimately, when it comes to Israel and Iran, pretty much every single Republican is emphatically on the right side of it. But the problem is, even when they are, they're, they're, they're so ineffective. I'm not seeing anyone in Congress stand up and say what the Biden administration and Blinken is doing to Israel is disgusting. It's appalling. and it needs to stop that. We're going to defund UNRWA. We're going to defund the PLO um, and all of our diplomatic missions there. We're going to um, cut off the special status given to Qatar. I mean, a little bit here and there from a handful of people, but it's just all Israel needs money. And by the way, Ukraine, too. So let's take it like that. That's what Mike Johnson's saying. And it just it doesn't do them any favors and certainly doesn't do us favors. Well, it might do them
0: favors. And I wonder who those favors are from, you know, whether they they there's some benefit from, you know, defense contractors who who benefit from this relationship, because you know we talk about $3 billion of military aid to Israel, which is almost exclusively spent with US defense contractors. So it's really a, a subsidy to US defense contractors more than it is foreign aid. And frankly, much, much of the rest of the foreign aid budget is similar, um, even the stuff that doesn't go to Israel. And so they have, I think, you can't call them constituencies because they don't vote, but they have special interests that also encourage them to uh, maintain this, this relationship, which treats uh, Israel as a sat trap of the United States uh, rather than as an independent, strong, and capable ally. And so I think we do need to, and it's difficult because the rhetoric has been so one way for so long, but we do, I think, need to call yes. out conservatives and say, You know, I am pro Israel in the sense that I believe Israel is a strong and useful ally to the United States and serves U.S. national interests to have Israel the dominant power in that region uh, so that we do not have to be. Um, That is my view. But it is not, you know, offering your ally golden handcuffs is not exactly a pro. Exactly Uh, pro ally thing to do. We need to start letting people know
1: this has been going on for four decades where the State Department is anti Israel and Congress is pro Israel, especially the Republicans. And all that does is get the endless aid, but doesn't change the policies. So you get the worst outcome. And yeah, the defense contractors don't care because they'll sell them the stuff and they'll get the they'll get the money. Um, whether they're handcuffed or not doesn't affect their contracts. So it's it's kind of ridiculous, and I think they just need to update it more than, oh, I stand with Israel. Um, let's make sure we get another aid package. Actually, let's systemically take away some of the agreements that prevent them from building up their own weapon systems uh, because they'd be in breach of, 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 of our, our our agreements and our treaties and, and then go after the foreign policies. And one of them... Um, I'm watching is, look, I am not in favor of doing anything in the Middle East. Um, We need to get our soldiers out of Syria, out of Iraq. They're, They're helping Iran while Iran attacks them. But one thing I think we do all agree since the founding of our nation, the Barbary pirates, is that we need to use our Navy and air power to have kill zones. Uh, to to free our shipping lanes, that anything that messes with them get dealt with. We're seeing a bunch of attacks by the Iranian proxies on the shipping lanes. Where do you see that headed?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was pleased to see the uh, USS Mason in, I think it was the Red Sea, uh, did respond to that attack um, against a, I'm not sure how it was flagged, but it was described as being uh, an Israel Uh, affiliated uh, shipping vessel. And apparently the Houthis attempted to take it and the U S Navy did respond. Uh, Now there was some weirdness later on where U S defense department and the administration seemed to say that it was Somali pirates and not the Houthis. uh, But they couldn't explain why after the U S retook the ship, the Houthis fired rockets at us.
1: Oh, it's the Somali pirates. It's like, it's like, don't say the I word, Iran. Like, you know. um,
0: It's exactly what's going on. But, you know, so there are there are things that we will still need to do for our national interests and keeping open the shipping lanes in the Middle East is probably one of them. Uh, But that has always been U.S. national interest and U.S. national policy. Since, as you pointed out, we we went to war with the Barbary states uh, because they raided U.S. shipping. In the Mediterranean, and so we can we can still demonstrate power in in regions of the world. Uh, this is not isolationism. This is not retreating uh, behind the U.S. borders, but it is it is staking out U.S. interests yep. very clearly and delineating where those interests are and where they are not. And and when you say you know, look, our ally Israel might have interests in a region, but the U.S. may not. And if Israel wants to handle it the way they wanna handle it, that's their, that's their prerogative. We're not gonna get in their way, and you know, we're not necessarily gonna get involved. And it, once you do that, you start to see that all these things that, that they've told us for ages are, are these commitments that we have to honor, that we have to get involved in, which are in no way involved with our national interests. Uh, are not really – there are not really as many of those that are for the national interests as they have told us there are. Yep. So we could, we could you know, still play the major role, still play the superpower role, and not have troops in every country in the region. You know, we don't need to be in Syria. We don't need to be in Iraq, especially having you know, lost the war yep. that put us there. And that's what I love
1: about the water – water versus land water doesn't have people in it that you have to control and deal with and a nation build you just say okay that is a, a perimeter and anything that comes in it we zap it our military is prepared to do that what our military is incapable of doing it nor should we care to do is referee islamic multi-factional islamic civil wars in perpetuity and then you know fall on the sword of islam i want to I want to die for our country, If to the extent we die. I don't want to die for the other SOB's country. And I think that's, what, that's where a lot of people are rightfully ticked off. But then we have this false dichotomy. Um, just in closing, when, when you look at the, one of the people who prepares, one of the CIA agents who prepares the presidential daily briefing for Biden, um, putting Free Palestine stuff on our social media, is that the tip of the iceberg of what we have in this admin?
0: Oh yeah, of course. I mean, that's been that's been the 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 CIA's official position for you know more than fifty years. Uh, I mean, why you know, the uh, the,
1: C, the CIA? What is it the about the Palestinians? But what, can, can you uh, explain it? What is it about that cause? the most violent, decadent civilization ever built. I mean, I think we could kind of say that, where, where you have these training camps, like you saw that kindergarten graduation, what they do. I mean, th- there's no society quite like it. Why is that the catch-all magnet for every evil leftist movement?
0: Well, some of that was the decision of the KGB to make the Palestinian cause a cause. I mean, they mm. literally invented it. They literally invented the PLO, as part of their strategy of pushing national liberation movements globally, including here in the United States, by the way. And so, of course, that has always been the centerpiece of, 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 this, of this movement. And I think the CIA uh, was always, I mean, this is, was my, the, the late great Angelo Cotevilla used to talk about how, um, you know, really the CIA was always of the left. They were people of the left. And they wanted to, or by say they wanted to, they did essentially make the Cold War a civil war of the left between uh, sort of moderate socialist liberals of the CIA stripe and the hardcore communists of the Soviet bloc. And they primarily preferred to deal with, you know, socialist movements, left-wing movements all across the globe, just ones that weren't communist. They never dealt with, you know, the actual conservative groups in any of those states. And so you come to Israel and they do the same thing. Now, you also have the, the Arabist uh, tendency, which this was, this was something we inherited also from the British, was the idea that there are a lot more Arabs than there are Jews in the region. And if we're going to control the region, it matters a lot more what the Arabs think of us than it matters what the Jews think of us.
1: Bingo. Uh,
0: but this argument... Has is out the window after the Abraham Accords, because it was clear that the Arab states actually didn't care about yeah. the Palestinians and, in fact, hate them uh, <laughs> and find them contempt, contemptible. And two, that the Arabs were okay with the U.S.-Israeli relationship and, in fact, were, were concerned by the fact that the U.S. was throwing Israel under the bus. Because if, if you're... If you're looking at a U.S. administration throwing Israel under the bus and favoring Iran and you're Saudi Arabia, how do you feel knowing <laughs> that the majority of Americans love Israel and they're not real big fans of Saudi Arabia? So if they're going to throw that, if, if, if the U.S. administration is going to throw Israel under the bus, They'll certainly throw you under the bus. And of course, that's exactly
1: what happened. And also, if you're the Sunni states, you might for the Arab street, the Israelis, you know, but but when push comes to shove, you don't fear them because, you know, it's a freaking lie. You you fear Iran a lot more than you do Israel. So at the end of the day, you know, Trump isolated um, Iran and kind of unified them. And now Biden is trying to unify everyone against Israel. It's part of the same BLM. Uh, anti-white, anti-colonial Marxist ideology that started with Obama. And um, again, we're seeing it, unfortunately, uh, fall along the contours of every other Marxist belief based on the demographics we're seeing. Um, but but you're right. We we got to defeat this because we cannot allow all these Muslims we let into the country think that this is the way of the future. And, and obviously that's this whole other issue. Where could people find more about your work?
0: Sure. So uh, all all the things that I write are available at securefreedom.org. It's the website of the Center for Security Policy. Uh, And I'm also available on Twitter at ScheidlerK. Um, You can see all my work there as well.
1: Perfect. Well, Kyle, thanks for joining us. And thank you all for joining us today. If you have a question for Kyle, email me, Daniel danielharwitz at startmail.com. Till tomorrow, God bless you all. Micah68. Thank you for listening.